Well, this morning, I'm going to need you to work hard with me at the beginning of this message. Hopefully, you've had your coffee and you're awake. This is going to take some brain power here. This morning, I'm going to need you to try and remember something. And what I need you to remember, this is going to take some work for some of you, I need you to write down five gifts you received for Christmas last year. Right. I said it's going to be a difficult challenge. I want you to write down on the top of your handout, it says, try and remember. I want you to write down five things that someone gave you last year. Some of you may have a hard time getting to one, but think about what are five things that, that you got last year for Christmas. Maybe you didn't even get five things. Maybe you don't even remember five things. And then maybe to just flip the script a little bit, I want you to also think about this question. I want you to write down five gifts you gave for Christmas last year. Five things you gave last year. See, as I was thinking about these two things, because I try to ask myself the things I ask you on Sunday, I, I couldn't get to five on either one of those lists. I couldn't remember five things that I gave last year, and I, I for sure couldn't remember five things I received And so much of our stress during this time of year is trying to get through our list, trying to make sure that we get everybody something, and we make sure that we haven't forgotten anyone or anything. Some of us have had that moment where we realized a few weeks later that we hid a present too well in the closet and found it. Happened with my wife a couple years ago. I found it, I think it was on January 3rd, you know? So I was like, oh, here you go. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, you know? Happy Kwanzaa. Let's just throw it together, you know? And if you've ever seen the movie Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, you know that kind of stress and anxiety this season introduces for so many of us that ends up taking away the joy at the heart of the season. And making sure that we have picked up something for everyone often drives us mad. And and what it creates is the world we live in. And I've mentioned this before, that in a world where $1 billion in gift cards goes unspent and expired every year, in a world where too many of our gifts are generic and disposable, at a time in which many of our gifts are impersonal and out of obligation, we often forget what we've given and what we've given to other people. And so in this series, this Advent conspiracy we've been in for the last three weeks, we've been challenging one another to say, hey, let's step back and ask ourselves, is this the kind of experience we want to have at Christmas? Is this working for us? And some of you, it's felt like maybe, or maybe I've heard some from some of your friends, that this is a little bit uncomfortable for you. Maybe we've been stepping into some of your traditions and normal patterns of behavior. I think that's maybe a good thing. To step back and ask ourselves, does this season have to be experienced this way? We started two weeks ago with this theme of worship fully, and we, we said that what we worship shapes us. And we recognize that there are so many things that, that get worshipped at Christmas time, many of them other than Jesus. And those things that we worship and the way that we worship them ends up shaping our experience. And, and for some of us, we stepped back and said, we're not happy with that. Last week, we talked about the fact that when we spend less, that cr- actually creates space for us to give more. That in a season where we don't have any time or energy, many of us are spending beyond the money we have on credit, that when we step back and spend less, we actually create a space, not only in ourselves, but in our resources to allow God to move us to be generous. And and that was, at times, an uncomfortable conversation last week because it's always awkward to talk about money at church. 
But as we said, money is connected to our hearts. And at Christmas time, we're not just talking about changing our money, we're asking God to get a hold of our hearts. Well, the first two parts of the series were worship fully and spend less. The third part is give more. And so the idea we want to introduce for you today is this, that our greatest gift to others is what we've most fully received from God. The the greatest gift we can give anyone this Christmas season or any time of year is the thing that we've most fully received from God ourselves. See, I don't know if you've had this experience at Christmas time. I know I have where I run face-to-face or headlong into needs that I just don't have resources for. I'm faced by, by situations that I don't feel like I have enough to give to. I feel like I'm standing there with empty hands going, I don't know how to fix this, and nothing that I have can solve this. No present that I can give you can change this situation, and no dollar amount that I could pull together would actually meet or satisfy that need. And in this season where we see so many people battling things that money can't actually fix, like loneliness and depression and despair and fear, we need resources that go beyond our resources. And so what we want to do this morning is to to enlighten each other about the ways in which we've been given gifts by Jesus at Christmas. And then to reflect on how that gift empowers us to share with other people. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John is the fourth of the four biographies of Jesus. It's written by the apostle John. John writes his in a very different style than all of the others. And and we're going to be in a few verses in John chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to just say that I am super excited to be here today. Our family has gotten sick every year at this time of year for the last three years, and we were all at home together all this week, so I'm just happy to be around adults who aren't crying or screaming at me. At least I'm hoping. We'll see how the sermon goes. So if you see me, uh, you know, dab my nose, or if you go, do you have a cough drop in your mouth? I do. I'm just powering through today. So if I give you an elbow bump in the lobby or a knuckle bump and not a hug, then you'll understand. In John chapter 1, I think... John gives us the answer to this question, how did Jesus give to us? How and what did Jesus give to us, not only at Christmas, but in general? And I think there's three things or three ways that he gave to us. The first way that he gave to us is that Jesus gave us life. The life that we have today, all of us, even those of you in the room or watching online who don't actually believe in Jesus, the reason that you're alive today is because Jesus gave you life. And John explores this at the beginning of his biography of Jesus, beginning in John 1.1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all the things that were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, unlike the rest of the Gospels, John doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus or the family lineage of Jesus. He goes all the way to the beginning to creation. And and John is writing his his biography, his, his description of the life and teaching of Jesus to a uniquely Greek audience. 
And so he borrows a Greek term to begin his book. It's the word logos, which in English is translated word. And, and the word logos in that time period was a description of an intermediary deity that would go between the gods in heaven and humanity on earth. And, and what John does is he takes this concept that his audience understood. He said, hey, you guys have heard of logos. Well, I'm going to tell you about the real and true logos. You've heard about this word that goes between God and mankind. I'm going to introduce you to him in this book, and his name is Jesus. And he was there in the beginning. When everything was created, the Logos, Jesus, the Word, was there. And so when John is going to talk about the baby that was born in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas, he's not letting that baby stay, as Ricky Bobby put it, this tiny six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. He's reminding us that that baby was the one who was the source of all life. He's reminding us that this manger may have contained the human infant, Jesus, but that manger could not contain the glory and the majesty and the power of God because that Jesus was there when all was made. When everything that you've ever experienced on planet Earth or in the skies above was made, Jesus was there. And all of that life has its origin in Jesus. In essence, that manger was crammed with all of heaven. And in some ways, that manger was overflowing. Some of you have experienced God's presence or God's provision or joy or love in the last year in an overflowing way that you just can't contain. Well, that manger was overflowing with the gift of God, Jesus. And that gift is something that's worth reflecting on. I'm not sure if you've thought about it recently, but life is a tremendous gift. There's some people who were here celebrating Christmas with us last year. And they're not with us this year. And every moment you have, whether you you believe this book or not, the life that you have is a gift. I want to ask you to participate with me for a second. I want you to take a deep breath with me. That's a pretty good breath. Let's go a little bit deeper, okay? Deeper breath. You didn't blow that breath in your lungs. And you don't get to decide if you continue breathing breath in those lungs. Jesus is the one who breathed life into you. And before or after or regardless of your thoughts on him, every breath you take is a testament to what he did in creating you. And I'm belaboring this point because I've been reminded in this season of the fragility of life. Of the fact that life is not guaranteed. Last year during the holidays, I went and visited a friend of mine who had been battling cancer. And in the first part of 2017, he lost his life. We went down to Phoenix for his Memorial Day one Sunday after I preached. And in the same hospital that he died a few weeks ago, I went and visited another friend who was in that same cancer center battling for his life. 
And last Thursday, I got a text message that he had also died. And I have heard stories from you and your family about people that you know that are, that are waiting for diagnoses, that aren't sure how their future is going to go based upon the tests that are coming back. Life is a sacred thing. And we didn't create it for ourselves. Yes, humanity is innovative and intuitive. We're creative and the power that we have is amazing. But everything we have came from Jesus. And he gave us this life. And one of the greatest things he gave us was a gift that we can experience at Christmas. And it's called life. The second way that Jesus gave to us that John describes in John chapter 1 is he describes how Jesus adopted us into his family. John describes how Jesus gives us this opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. Beginning in John 1.9, this is how John writes. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him, that's what he already said earlier, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One of the hardest things about this season is also one of the best things about this season, family. It's kind of the good and the bad. You get one and the other. It's kind of a package deal. And and in this moment, John reminds us that we have an opportunity to participate in the family of God through this baby Jesus because he's not going to stay a baby. In some ways in this passage, he gives us a sneak preview, a trailer, an indicator of what's to come with the life of Jesus. And he says that this child is going to receive into his own those people who rejected him. Those people who rejected him and then put their faith and trust in him, he gave them the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God. Because what began in the manger would one day conclude on the cross. And that's what we have to remember at Christmas time is that we're not just simply getting the entire story in the nativity, we're getting the first chapter. That what is beginning in that manger will one day conclude on the cross. And this baby will grow up to be a man. He'll be rejected by his own people. He'll be unjustly arrested and tried. He'll be publicly executed. And then he will be triumphant over death and the grave. Even in these short verses, we see the full story of God. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. How God has adopted us or given us the opportunity to be adopted into his family. You know, adoption is this profound illustration of what God does. That God chose us, that we didn't choose him. That God pursued us, we didn't pursue him. That God came searching for us and called us as his own. And the reality of a need for adoption is a reality that many of us face this time of year. 
Because in the same way that Jesus has been rejected, many of us have been rejected this year. In the same way that we feel estranged from the people in our family that we love and care about, Jesus feels the exact same thing. So for those of you who aren't excited about going home for Christmas this year, if you're a little nervous about who's coming to your home for Christmas this year, Jesus knows your pain. A few years ago, I worked at Starbucks over the Christmas holiday and, uh, and because I was the newbie on the block and I asked for Christmas Eve off to do my responsibilities at church, I got stuck working Christmas Day at Starbucks. I was super excited. Not really. And, and I got told that it was actually not, not a bad gig. I got told that, that you got better tips on Christmas Day and people were just happy that you were open to give them their extra caramel, caramel frappuccino, because in, in, in Phoenix, Christmas is 72 degrees. And, and so I, I went to work a little bit excited, knowing that I was going to get off early enough to have dinner with my family and my friends. And it was a terrible day. I have never seen our customers that mean and that angry. And as I drove home, I thought about why. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of year. We're open. I'm serving you your calorie-laden drink, you know, while you sit in your car. Like, why would you be mad? And I realized, oh, maybe it's because of where they're going. Maybe it's because of where they're coming from. Maybe it's because they are not experiencing the Christmas they wanted with their family. And into that reality, Jesus speaks and he says, regardless of your experience with your family, I'm giving you an opportunity to be part of mine. Regardless of your sense of your worthiness or your value, regardless of what your earthly family has said to you, I'm offering you an invitation to become my son or my daughter this Christmas. Jesus has given us that opportunity. The final thing Jesus gives us is that he gives us himself. Jesus gives us himself. In John 1.14, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, John writes these words. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that is the English Standard Version, the, the, the version I typically preach from, but in the message, in Eugene Peterson's translation, he says it this way in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That God essentially has come near to us, and he hasn't just given us a present, he's given us himself. The, the language that John chooses here harkens back to a reality that John would have known as a young child growing up in a Jewish home. It was the idea of the tabernacle. You see, as the people of Israel wandered around the desert in the time of Moses and Joshua, like we discovered this fall, they would set up what they called the tabernacle. And in this center area, the the Holy of Holies is where God's spirit would come to rest and would speak to Moses. And, And John is saying that Jesus has come and he's tabernacling with us. His presence is coming and residing with us. He's not sending us an email or an IM or a text message. 
He's not sending us something via Amazon Prime. He's giving us himself. He's coming near to us. And look at the ways in which he comes to us. He comes to us in weakness, not strength, because he comes as a baby. He comes in secret, not public. I mean, he could have picked the moment right now where we could have all live-streamed him to the world. And yet he came into the world and no one knew. And he came in need, because a baby can't do anything for himself. He didn't come in abundance. That's how he gave himself to us, as exposed and vulnerable and dependent on our reaction to him as he could be, setting himself up to be rejected and despised. We sing about this all throughout this season. One of the first Christmas songs I remember hearing was Michael W. Smith pounding on the keys, singing about Emmanuel, which means God with us. That God is with us at a time of year and a time in the world when we need God's presence in palpable ways. We have this reminder that God's given himself and he's with us. We even use this heavy theological term called the incarnation. That God has literally taken on human flesh and he stood with us in solidarity. That every temptation and pain and struggle that you are experiencing today, God knows it because he's experienced the same thing. Alan Hirsch, a pastor and writer, noted that the incarnation is an act of humble love, the likes of which the world has never seen. See, God could have sent us a message a lot of other ways. God could have spoken truth to our lives in a lot of other avenues, but instead the way that he wanted to show us love was to give us himself. And so to those of you who are struggling this morning, to those of you who hate this season, because I know there's some of you in this room. My wife and I had a conversation a few years ago where she said, Scott, I hate this season. And I said, no, you don't hate this season. You hate the busyness of this season. She was like, okay, I hate the busyness of this season. Some of you hate this season because you've lost someone you love, and this season is raw for you. Maybe you're single this time of year, and the family and the couples and all that stuff is just overkill for you. You hate going to parties and getting asked by everybody there, so you found anybody this year? And you're like, no, and I'm going to kill you, you know? And so maybe you're in a rough spot this year financially. You hear about the stock market breaking records and you're like, well, my bank account's not breaking records. And if it is, it's breaking records of how little can be in there. And this year, what what Jesus gives to us is this powerful, undeniable reminder that we're loved. And if anything has been difficult for me to come to terms with at Christmas time, it's this reality that I'm loved. Apart from my performance, apart from other people's opinion and judgment of my performance, and apart, of my, apart from my sense of where I thought I would be by this point in my life, Christmas reminds me that I'm loved. And that Jesus came before I could do anything to earn or deserve that love. That Jesus came before I could show him why he should give me that kind of love. See, the manger is this profound proof. It's this gift that announces that we're loved. 
And it stands in stark contrast to every other world religion. Because in every other world religion, in the words of Tim Keller, the founder of those religions say, I'll show you how to find God. When in fact, Jesus says, I am the God who's come to find you. This is the message of Christmas. Not that Jesus comes and says, I'm going to show you the path to true enlightenment and happiness. No, Jesus comes and says, I am God, and I've been on on a mission to come find you and to tell you that you're loved. And that's why your greatest gift to anyone else is what you can fully receive from God. And before you can give any gift this year that will be remembered next year, the most important thing you need to do today is determine if you have embraced that love, is determine if you actually believe in that love. See, before we can give any gifts this year, we need to receive the gift that Jesus is offering us. So before we get to the next steps this morning and some practical steps, I want everybody to to close their eyes and bow their heads. Because I think that many of us can sing the right words and say the right things. But deep down, we struggle to actually truly believe them within our souls. And this morning, I just have this sense as I came here today that there are some people in this room or who are watching online all around the world who need to have an opportunity to accept the greatest gift themselves before we talk about how we give any gifts ourselves. And so if you're here this morning and you've never accepted the gift of God's love yourself, if you've never exchanged your own sin and brokenness for the love and grace of Jesus, If you've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you want to accept the gift of Jesus' love for the first time, and you're ready to embrace that, and this morning you recognized your need for that, with everybody's eyes closed and nobody looking around, Would you have the courage to raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down. And if you raised your hand or you wanted to, then silently I'd like to ask you to pray these words right along with me. God, thank you for coming at Christmas. Thank you for giving yourself for me. God, thank you for loving me even when I wasn't loving you. I know my life is filled with sin and brokenness. And I know there's a lot of things in the past I wish I could change. But today, I want to give all of that to you. And I want to receive everything you'd have for me. 
I want to receive your grace and your mercy and your love. Change me. Make me who you want me to be. I want to receive your love and I want to become part of your family. Thank you for this gift, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. You see, before we can get on to giving and getting, we have to receive. And so if you made that decision this morning, in your bulletin, there's a card that says connect on it. And we'd encourage you to write your name down on that card and indicate that you made a decision by saying, I'd like more information on beginning a relationship with Jesus. We saved the offering to the end of the service, not to compel you to give more, but to give people an opportunity to to share that decision. And if you fill that card out and put it in the offering bucket in a little bit when it passes, we'd love to follow up with you this week and help you take steps to follow up on that decision. As I said earlier, our greatest gift to others is what we've most fully received from God. And so let's talk about how we can give this year. I want to share with you in the back of your handout three things to remember when giving more presents. The first one I want you to remember is that giving costly gifts is better than giving disposable gifts. If we're going to follow in the example of Jesus, then we need to give costly gifts, not disposable ones, like Ikea products that are disposable furniture. And and maybe this year, what it looks like for you is you resist the temptation to give the easy gift. Sure, you can get four times fuel points at Fry's for giving them a gift card. Sure, if you buy $100 for them, you can get $20 for yourself. But, But what if you actually gave a gift that cost you something? And not just in dollars and cents, but cost you yourself. You know, some of the costliest gifts don't involve money. I was thinking about this and I was reminded of my aunt. I have an aunt who every year sent me cash and I was excited because it was always my biggest gift. But this, this aunt who started as an agnostic and classifies herself as an atheist today, one year gave me an actual gift and it, it shocked me and blew me away. She'd gone to an auction in the city she lives in, Houston, Texas, and she knew that I loved baseball and I'd just visited Houston to see my grandparents and I'd gone to NASA. And so she bought me a baseball that was signed by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And I remember that gift more than any check she sent me in my 18 years of growing up. Not because I was trying to wrap my head around how much that cost but because my aunt shifted from just writing me a check, which cost her nothing, to actually thinking about me and who I was and what I liked and going out to get something. See, giving somebody a costly gift over a disposable gift makes all the difference. Number two, giving personal gifts is better than giving generic gifts. God's gift to us was intensely personal. After all, he gave us life He knows us. And so this year, what would it mean for you with the people in your life to actually think about them? To actually think about who they are and what makes them tick? What do they desire? What do they love? What's close to their heart? You see, the most memorable gifts, the ones we remember from year to year and beyond, they're the kinds of gifts that involve wonder and joy and sacrifice. They're the risky gifts. And for some of you, the challenge of the Advent conspiracy that we've been pushing you with is that breaking the norm is scary. 
Changing the way you give is scary. I know this week my wife and I sent text messages to our family to say, hey, would you be okay if instead of giving you gifts, we gave a gift to your favorite charity in honor of you? And while you're waiting for them to reply, while those little dots are going on your text message button, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? Are they going to be happy with me or are they going to be angry? And sometimes the reason why we resist doing what we feel called to do is the opinion of others. Oswald Chambers speaks about this powerfully in his devotional, My Utmost First Highest, where he says these words. He says, if we obey God, it is going to cost other people more than it costs us. And that is where the sting comes in. You see, if we obey God, he will look after those who have been pressed into the consequences of our obedience. We have to simply obey and leave all the consequences to him. Beware of the inclination to dictate to God to what you will allow to happen if you obey him. And so if you're saying, Scott, I'm, I'm, I want to follow God and how I give this year, but what will people think? You're going to have to decide if what they think matters more to you than obeying God. And sometimes you may have to trust their reaction to God and do what he's called you to do. And the third way that I would encourage you to give following Jesus' example is to remember that presence with a C-E is greater than presence with a T-S. See, the kind of gifts that we remember at Christmas time, they're the, the C-E kind, not the T-S kind. The gifts that, that come near to us, that communicate real, genuine love. Earlier this year, we did a series called Becoming Courageous, and I, I shared with you this idea that, that we have an opportunity to choose between fear and hope. And, and right up here in the front, I had these knobs, these fear and hope knobs. And I challenge you to reflect on every morning as you get into the shower and you turn the knobs, what it is you're choosing with your life. Well, that message has been part of my life for nine years. I've taught it. I've written about it. And my wife knows this. And so a few years at Christmas time, she gave me a gift. It's a pair of cufflinks. And the cufflinks look like this. They don't say fear and hot. They say hot and cold. But every time I wear these cufflinks, I remember a few things. I remember that my wife loves me. That she believes in the messages that God's put in my heart to share. And so every time I put those cufflinks on, I'm reminded of her presence in my life. She could have spent a lot more money on a lot of other things. But this gift continues to go on and be remembered because it cost her something. Thought, preparation, and love. I want to close with the words of an Argentinian pastor who, when reflecting on how we give and serve, said this. He said, I prefer a church which is bruised and hurting and dirty because it has been out in the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and clinging to its own security. See, this is how we give. We give as we have received. We give in the pattern of Jesus. And so giving more is not about giving more dollars away. It's recognizing that our lives have been changed by the love that God has unconditionally given to us in himself. And so we receive that. And we go out and we give it away. More love and grace and mercy and compassion and presence than we have in ourselves to give. Because we're giving out of a reservoir that's bigger than us. 
your greatest gift to others this year is what you've most fully received from God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gifts you've given to us this Christmas. The ones that are sitting under trees wrapped in packages and those that are breathing sitting next to us. We thank you for the fact that you didn't give to us in a way that was cost less for you. You gave to us in a way that cost you your life. And there are some of us in this room that, that before we finish up our giving this year, we need to do some receiving. We need to receive the life that we've been taking for granted. Some of us need to accept and receive the opportunity to become part of your family. And some of us need to accept your love, not as a concept or a theology or a belief, but as a reality. That apart from our performance, other people's opinions, likes, or comments, that we are loved by you. And we pray that we would recognize this day that you have given to us in a way that no other God can. You've not told us the way to go. You've come into our world. You've made your presence with us and you've showed us the way. No other God is gonna do that. No other king is gonna do that. That is why you are the only true God and the only true king. And we pray this Christmas we would worship you and receive you. And out of the great riches that you have blessed us with, that you would show us the way we are to serve others and give to them in a way that looks like and points back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.